Welcome to Abuelas en Acción, a podcast for our common good. I am Dr. Rosemary Celaya Alston, and I'm here with my co-host, Marie Dahlstrom. Today, we welcome Gerardo Ochoa to talk about what universities and families can do to support the educational success of first-generation Latinx students. Gerardo Ochoa is the Director of Community Relations and Special Assistant to the President at Linfield University in McBenville in Portland, Oregon. In addition to being a college administrator, Gerardo is also a co-author and independent consultant of Path to Scholarships, a college readiness curriculum. He consults with higher education institutions on the inclusion of Latinx students, best practices to engage in and serve undocumented students and teaching strategies that draw on talents and address the needs of first-generation students. Welcome, Gerardo. Thank you so much. It's a privilege for me to be with you. Uh, and, and to engage in this discussion, which I, I hope will be both engaging and, and uh, informative for, for everyone involved, so, but I'm all yours. Okay. Um, please share with us a defining moment in your life. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's, we all go through life and there's many moments, and, uh, but there's one that I always go back to. Number one, I think it's important for you to understand my multiple identities, Number one, I'm an immigrant. I am. Uh, I'm bilingual. I'm bicultural. I have the great privilege, and I and I recognize this as a privilege because I have dual citizenship of, of Mexico and the U.S. So I also get to benefit from uh, citizenship privilege. But one of the defining moments of my life has been when when I came to the U.S. as uh, as an immigrant. Uh, I was nine years old, and I was one of. Uh, then one of a few uh, Spanish-speaking immigrants, and by the way, my parents are farm workers. So I, 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 I always was part of ESL, part of the migrant program, part of all the support systems that we have in place in order to help students like me. But when I entered the, my fifth grade classroom at nine years old, the, the teacher uh, could not pronounce my name. And uh, it, was, it was so difficult for her that ultimately she, you know, she, she did the morning roll call and I remember it precisely because she started down the list and many of the lists, many of the names on the list she could pronounce until she got to my name and, you know, she did a double take and she did the, the you know, the teacher look pointing her glasses down and looking at the list while she tried to make sense of my name. So she went from her to Jer to Jerry and she completely changed my name from Gerardo to Jerry. And that moment has been sort of a defining moment in my entire life because people knew me all through elementary school, middle school, and high school as Jerry. So there was a little bit that was robbed for me in terms of my own personal identity. And, and I had it, it took a lot for me to reclaim my own name. And it wasn't until I got to, to uh, college that I got to reclaim my, my identity, my own sense of purpose, and my name. And uh, so that's been a defining moment. And it's something that a lot of people, a lot of immigrants in particular, and not just Latinos or not just Mexican immigrants, but immigrants from all over the world who immigrate to, to English dominant countries uh, often have to, to experience this. And uh, in a lot of ways, it feels like you, you, you kind of have to justify your existence when people aren't willing to take extra, extra care in pronouncing names. So 
I always go back to that moment because it's it's uh, it's important and it's in the, it's one of the ways in which I operate to make sure that we're always taking extra care uh, in pronouncing people's names properly because many of many of our organizations have diversity, equity, and inclusion statements and aspirations. But if if we don't start with the name, then what are we doing? Right. Uh, so I think it's important. What could this teacher have done differently? Well, I think it's something that, that, that I, you know, as I now have the privilege of, of working with and consulting with many educators, I think, uh, I think we need to take our time to learn uh, people's names. I think it, it literally starts on day one, the first day of classes. Uh, so there's a lot of things that, that I think teachers can do. Number one, uh, write the phonetic pronunciations uh, for students if you can't, if you can't uh, pronounce someone's names. Now, you know, we're living in the middle of Zoom uh, we can literally uh, change the name on the square in a way that would help us to pronounce it. Uh, again, phonetic pronunciations, uh, asking the student how they pronounce their name. And oftentimes, you know, that, I know that puts the burden on the student. However, uh, I think it's important that people listen to the name and understand it, even if it's personally challenging. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not, it's, not the, it's not that it's challenging to the person. It's that we are being empathetic to make sure that the other person is being acknowledged because there's, there's a lot of uh, meaning behind people's names. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of history. Uh, and it's ultimately very personal. And ultimately, that student can become a teacher as well in trying well, to, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, well, some of the experience that, that I went through, and I know this is also part of the research, is that when, people, uh, when people's names is not acknowledged in the classroom, it leads to invisibility in the classroom. They're less likely to be called on. They're less like students are, are less likely to engage academically, and it has a negative academic impact. So it, 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 is, an, it is very, very important. I so appreciate that distinguishment. Gerardo, Linfield University is an emerging Latinx academic institution with 20% Latinx students. Please share with us your work to recruit Latinx students and how Linfield is building this leadership. Well, I think of it more in terms of, uh, you know, I think it's beyond recruitment. I think, uh, in order, you know, I know that I'm, for number one, I'm, I'm, I'm a Latino and I, you know, if I get even more specific, I'm Mexican. Uh, but I know this is true for many Latin American countries. We operate uh, on relationships, on trust building. Uh, so a lot of us who have not been part of the historical higher education process because we've been historically excluded, we go to where we know and we go to where people uh, know us and wherever we find comfort and trust. So beyond recruitment, we have, we have been at this for over 10 years, building trust in the community, uh, establishing partnerships, going to events that are important to the Latinx community, uh, sitting on boards, volunteering, attending festivals and being present. I think that's the key for, for Linfield, being present. You, 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 can't just, uh, you, you can't just take up a billboard somewhere where Latinos live and expect Latinos to enroll at your institution. That doesn't help. It reinforces what you're already doing. But if, 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 uh, if an institution is just trying to invest money in marketing to the Latinx community, it's not going to work because that, there's no trust there. 
So I know I, I and my colleagues have been particularly focused on building trust because higher education has not been good at establishing trust with communities that have been dis disenfranchised within uh, the higher education system. And this is true for the native community. This is also true for the black community. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that the, the universities need to be doing. So I've already mentioned it, you know, from, from, from community partnerships to attending events, to sitting on boards, to establishing scholarship match agreements, uh, to doing service, hosting conferences. Uh, I mean, these are, these are all of the, the, the tangible things that, that we have done. And of course, we have to be able to, when students enroll, they need to feel like they belong here. So we have also been very intentional about the type of, uh, of professional development opportunities we offer our faculty and our staff. Uh, so there's the, we beyond beyond uh, making sure that the, the Latinx students are college ready. Our university needs to be student ready. So that I think is a is a big change change uh, for for many organizations and, and particularly at Olympia we we are we are we are trying to get ahead of the demographic changes that are already happening and and, and we we I, I believe have been successful. Well, excellent. Gerardo, and the job that you have at Linfield and other uh, educational institutions have uh, right now are even more important. We have recently experienced a presidential election with so much uh, divisiveness in our country, and we have so many challenging issues to deal with from the pandemic and uh, climate change uh, and Oregon and other states along the West Coast uh, experienced uh, um, many fires and it impacted our uh, Latino communities, other communities um, that are working outdoors, uh, you name it, the country is experiencing severe climate issues. So what, um, what opportunities are ahead for Latinx and other students of color during these challenging times? What are you, what values do you see really important to instill in the students um, to prepare them for uh, life upon graduation? Well, I think, I think a lot of the values that I think I believe, uh, that I believe are important to community health, to making climate change, to, uh, you know, engaging in the political system, I think students already have them, uh, which is resiliency, grit, tenacity. These are all of the, all of the assets that first-gen and Latinx students are already bringing to the university. I don't know that there's anything we specifically need to be adding to the formula other than engaging with students, challenging their growth, because we, we need to meet them where they're at. And some of them are high achievers and are already going places, and some of them need a little bit of support. Uh, but I do believe that higher education is, is in a unique position to teach all students, not just Latinx students, on, on how to be critical thinkers, how to communicate effectively across differences with people who are like you and people who are different than you, with people who agree with you, and most importantly, I think, with people who disagree with you. So I think, uh, I think the, 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 the communication skills, both uh, in... Uh, in written and oral, we need to have, we need people who are multilingual because we, we are whether we want it or not we're living in a globalized world and our students are interacting with people locally and internationally. So I think uh, I think in order to solve 
some of our world's problems, we need to address them differently. And, and, and I don't believe we're going to be able to address our global challenges by not communicating with each other. Uh, I do agree with you that our, our, uh, our, our political system has sort of divided many communities. And I, I, I haven't been in a situation where I've accomplished more by communicating with fewer people. So I do think uh, we need to, to work through, through, through the, the disagreements in a civil way uh, so that we can essentially get people at the tables who represent the, the needs and interests of immigrants, of first-gen students, then professionals, uh, as well as meeting the needs of our communities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and, and what can we as abuelos and, and parents do to, to support the success for our children and grandchildren? We are so invested in them and we're so proud of them. And what can we do starting when they're young to ensure that they have every opportunity that we didn't even have because, um, you know, we uh, as parents and grandparents were always wanting our children to, to have the opportunities that we didn't have. What can we do? Well, I think we need to be modeling. Uh, you know, we, we need to be modeling what we want from, ne- from the next generations, right? And, there's a lot we know about the baby boomers. There's a lot we know about the Gen X and millennials. But there's a lot we're learning about uh, the Gen Z, and uh, and it's an emerging, it's an emerging, it's a huge block. And and you know the this new generation of people are more likely to both uh, marry out of their own race, to interact with people who are different with, than they are. And I think us as abuelos have, in, in a lot of ways, not modeled very good. Uh, ways for interacting with people who are different. So I think one thing we can do is, is number one, first, uh, this and this, this, or unlearn a lot of the things that we that are that are not good for both the Latinx as well as the Black community as well as the Native community. And this requires some unlearning on our behalf. So, for example, I know I know many of the things that are impacting the Black community are also impacting Latinx community, but I, I, I get to see a lot of com- I get to see a lot of conflict, and in order for us to move forward with with the with the challenges that you laid out with wildfires with the pandemic, we know that the Black and the Brown community have been disproportionately impacted, uh, and I think some of it some some, some it's going to require us the abuelos. I think you mentioned uh, we need to number one relearn and unlearn if we want to teach our next generation something different. Um, and if, if, if one of the things that's on top of my mind, I know there's a lot of anti-Blackness within the Latinx community. We have to address this. We can't just let it go because not only, not only does it impact our, our Black brothers and sisters, it also impacts a lot of the Black Latinx people uh, and people who are, who are more dark-skinned than, than, than most fair-skinned Latinx people. So this has a negative impact on some of our indigenous communities as well. And there's a big historical reason why that happens, but it also plays itself out on a daily basis in the TV that we consume, in, in the articles that we read. And, and I think one thing that we, we need to be modeling and, making, and, and be making sure that we are uh, teaching our young kids multiple perspectives, different perspectives, because a lot of the teaching, a lot of the foundational teaching, a lot of the values get taught in the home. 
Gerardo, thank you for naming the biases uh, and the ways in which we abuelos can be, uh, and bisabuelos can be um, rigid and uh, stuck in our ways to the, to the point of not honoring the beliefs of our children and grandchildren because they to, they, it's amazing. And Rosemary and I, we have talked to so many uh, first-gen students and, and talked to different generations on our podcast who teach us so much. We not only learn from our personal lives and our families, but these amazing young people that are uh, educating us about issues facing the LGBTQ um, communities and the issues facing our Black and Native uh, brothers and sisters. And so actually, there's research demonstrating that we stay younger, we keep our brain um, uh, flexible by being open to other perspectives and by being open to learning and not being closed minded. So um, thank you for that. So um, do uh, Rosemary, do you have any final thoughts to as no, we, I um, just, I really appreciate it. I, I wanted to second that Marie, I think there are some opportunities here that um, with this podcast, because many of our elders are, are learners by audio and by listening rather than visual of maybe having different guests come on and, and speak to this issue and why it can be so hurtful and detrimental to our communities. And I think the one thing as, you and I are both um, therapists and clinicians at heart is that we haven't done a real good job of helping people to agree to disagree and what that looks like and still remain respectful of multiculturalism across the spectrum. And I'm looking forward to how we can reach out and cast that net out there even that much more. Um, because I do agree with Gerardo, we, we do have community members, oftentimes more our elders, that are stuck in um, a place that is moving very quickly um, away from them. And um, we want our families to be healthy. And having healthy discussions and dialogue also means that we can agree to disagree and still be able to live in a country that's much more respectful. And Gerardo, we, uh, we look forward to having um, your students come on to the podcast and having these discussions and them telling us what would they like uh, our generation to do? How can we meet them? Uh, how can we mm -hmm. find common ground together? Because boy, do we have a lot of work ahead of us in this country Absolutely. globally. Well, I, you know, I know that this year our, our Latinx students have taken sort of the the, the, the role and responsibility with, with learning how to be, uh, how to address anti-Blackness within the Latinx community. So they've hosted a series of speakers. Uh, they are engaging in this conversation. And, and I think, uh, you know, the, uh, for many years and particularly this summer, we have seen the Black Lives Matter movement uh, increase. And, and slowly uh, we've seen a lot more Latinx students and, and, and community members join the join that uh, the, the, the struggle and uh, but I think it does require intentionality and I think this is this is something that has been particularly challenging for many many people within the Latinx community 
but I don't know how we build uh, support and alliances uh, if, if we're not willing to, to really interrogate internally uh, our upbringings, uh, our assumptions, our beliefs, which have been historically from the colonizer perspective. Absolutely. And we haven't questioned them in many, in, in many ways. We've assumed that this is the way, uh, this is our culture, and, and we have just accepted that. And it's been our younger generations that have said, no, it's not okay. And it's time to take a look Absolutely. at it. It can be painful, but it's time to take a look at it. Thank you, Gerardo, so much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to these opportunities to work on change together. Thank you, listeners, for uh, joining us. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast. And we so appreciate your reviews. We look forward to having you again on Abuelas en Acción. Gracias. <laughs>